right, Hot Grits Podcast, episode 18. I'm Travis Jordan, and we got a special episode for you guys today. Uh, Spencer Maddox, my regular co-host, uh, is taking some time off on the DL this week, not feeling too well. So we got a uh, – I don't know. I don't even know how to introduce this guy. Mike Anthony, the Statesboro Herald sports editor and a guy that I've done – a bunch of podcasts with, uh, mostly about Georgia Southern football. But today we're going to kind of catch up and talk college football, coronavirus, everything that's happening with that. Uh, Mike Gundy still in like his own little world. Um, Major League Baseball going back and forth, their circus, and then if we got time for it, some golf. But first, Mike, thanks for joining me. Uh, uh, I guess I got to ask you right off the rip, dude, how's the golf game? Um. You know, struggling. Uh, Sounds right. I, the, the good part is now that we're getting into the warmer months, uh, I do tend to find myself under trees and shady areas. So that's a plus. But as far as the scoring goes, not great. All right, so I need to ask you because I feel like, you know, nowadays or as, as Spencer would like to say, you know, in these trying times uh, on every podcast or every show, you have to ask the person – um, you know, the guests, or in your case, the guest host, what they've been doing during coronavirus and kind of how they've been dealing with it. So let me frame it uh, really cliche for you, Mike. How have you been getting through these trying times? Yeah, well, I mean, it's been a personal challenge for me, not in terms of my usual life, but in terms of my professional life, uh, not to plug my own spot too much, but, you know, putting together a sports page uh, every other day, you know, it, it, it's, turns out that it's kind of tough to fill up a sports page or sports pages with sports when there's no sports going on. It's the damnedest thing. Imagine that. Imagine that. Uh, so, Mike, obviously you and I, we've, like I said at the beginning, we've talked a lot about, you know, Georgia Southern football together in the past. But obviously on this Hot Grits podcast, we're not going to talk too much Georgia Southern football. But let's start right with college football. All this stuff, and, and really, when you talk about college football, like a lot of sports, it's twofold. You kind of, it's coronavirus and everything that's, you know, related with coronavirus and each individual sport. Uh, and then Black Lives Matter and kind of all of the, the uh, you know, racial and, you know, unfortunately political stuff that's going on. All of this stuff is kind of intermingling with sports. That's a long-winded way of saying, uh, have you ever seen anyone get it less than someone like Mike Gundy, uh, who has managed to just have the worst week of all time this week? Yeah, that's pretty tough for a uh, good old Mike Gundy. Now you'd think that for a guy who's a man and who is now 50, yeah. that he might be a little more cognizant of what's going on around him. But yeah, for those who haven't seen the the news, you know, he, he gets uh, caught, not only wearing an OAN t-shirt in a picture, but also uh, some clips uh, surface of him talking about OAN. And you know what? There's nothing wrong with liking whatever you like, however weird it is. And he's entitled to go home and watch that for all of his waking hours. But you've got to understand what exactly is being expressed on a particular channel and how it relates to, I'm just going to guess, 85 to 90 percent of the guys who are on his team and how they might feel about it well that yeah that's the thing with me mike is that when 
like someone like Gun, when when he wears this shirt, uh, and basically what it is is just like an extreme Fox News. I mean, it's just like far tilted, you know, as you can get. And it was just like, you know, regardless of what you think or or how you feel on any of this, how tone deaf and, and you know moronic do you have to be to do something? like that and then when you try and do the twitter video you know apology thing that just came off weird as hell uh when you try to do that he doesn't even end up apologizing for it the player was the only one that really apologized uh uh, i just i'm fascinated to see how some coaches are getting this mike or like figuring out like most sensible people how to handle this um and then some coaches are just simply not. And is Mike Gundy even a good coach? Like, is he worth all this? I mean, he's a, a decent coach. I would assume that he's probably in the top five of Oklahoma State coaches of all time. I don't know how I mean, much seven and six and eight and five. Barry Sanders on your team, but yeah, seven uh, but, and six, eight and five the last two seasons. And yeah. He's been fine. He had a Brandon Whedon-led team that was, you know, one upset loss uh, against Iowa State away from playing for a national championship. But that was half a decade ago. And, uh, you know, uh, as far as how he interacts with players, like I, I think that in these times, it, it just turning more towards, uh, you know, having to get to know and get along with your players a little bit better. We've got the uh, – the news before all the coronavirus hit that, you know, it's marching towards players being able to get paid for their name, image, and likeness. So that is really going to be a thorn in the side of some of these authoritative head coaches that want to be a dictator. And, you know, honestly, to me, that's how he came off in that non-apology apology that you mentioned where he's the one sitting there apparently answering for his actions. But at the end of the day, it's his player who's under his thumb that has to apologize for what he did to his coach who was seemingly in the wrong. Yeah. And I, you know, I think of someone like Chad Lunsford at Georgia Southern Mike and like, and how opposite, you know, of, of Oklahoma state Georgia Southern seems to be. And it's not, you know, not just in the last couple of months. I mean, like, you know, from being around them, the staff was already diverse. Lunsford already kind of had a handle on it. And, Georgia Southern, I think, if it's at all possible, was somehow prepared for this kind of thing because of what all the hell and shit they went through last, you know, offseason. A lot of it probably, you know, had stuff, you know, had racial uh, factors in it. I'm trying to figure out how to fucking phrase that uh, bird poop scenario, Mike. Uh, You know, but I, I don't know. I guess seeing someone like Chad Lunsford and Georgia Southern handle it the way they have, which is not make headlines, support your players, show up at the, you know, at the peaceful protest and go about it, you know, the simple yet, yet smart way. Uh, I don't know. It it seems like I wouldn't want someone leading my program, you know, for any sport if they can't figure that out. Yeah. And, you know, you say not making headlines, but I really think that you or anybody else is kidding themselves 
if they don't think that Lunsford got some blowback for having his picture taken, uh, you know, put right on the publication I write for the Statesboro Herald with him taking a knee uh, in the middle of the town square. Now, I, I think that more people would think that he's on the right side of the argument. But if you think that he hasn't got some blowback for that, for taking that side of it, yeah. then you've got to be kidding yourself. Yeah, I mean, that's true. I don't want to, like, simplify it and just say it's, you know, it's as obvious as I think you and I both agree that it probably should be. But, you know, it, I guess it, it isn't as obvious, uh, clearly, based off of what some of the other people are doing. All right, let's shift away from that a little bit, Mike, but stay on college football. How far away does college football feel to you when it comes to coronavirus? All these grand plans and all these, you know, scenarios, I, I still – cannot bring myself to envision football actually being played the way we usually play it, if that makes sense. I mean, I could see them starting the season and stopping it or, or you know, doing some sort of modified schedule, but I just don't see how they're going to play, you know, Labor Day to mid-December with, you know, nothing regarding coronavirus popping up. How do you see it playing out? Yeah, no, I'm with you. Um, I, I think that all that you read right now, if you're a, a college football fan or the fan of any other sport waiting for that sport to return, all you're left with are the news clippings. So when you see a press release come out, you know, they're only feeding you the positive of this is what we're going to do. This is our plan. This is what we can do. And all that's well and good. But I just think that with this pandemic, there's still too many unknowns and I think that college football and football, you know, uh, across the board, professional football, all that, all the sports that are trying to get going in the fall, they're going to have to not only put forth the uh, the plans that you've seen the last couple of weeks, you know, colleges, the NCAA, the NFL coming out with these plans for how they're going to keep everything safe, what they're going to do, all the protocols, 100 pages about how everybody's going to do everything. Yeah, that's all well and good, but – you know, from everything we've seen about this virus, it's hard to tell where it's going to pop up, and it usually does pop up. So what happens if, you know, a couple weeks into September or right in the middle of October, you're a college football team, you're an NFL team, and your quarterback comes down with it? Like, what's the contingency? You can't just stop it. Yeah, and, and you know, another thing is, Mike, and, you know, I, I'm sure they're, they're going to have some sort of protocol in place and, and – you know, like a checks and balances system. But, I mean, is it fair to say that, I mean, it wouldn't be the craziest thing to think that some coaches and players and staffs would not be as quick to die or to announce to the world that, you know, maybe the right guard has coronavirus and therefore we're going to have to quarantine the whole offensive line this week, uh, you know, during a conference game and next week during a conference game. You know what I mean? Like college football coaches and programs are so paranoid about injuries and depth charts and, and, and shit like that. I just, how are you going to you know, make sure every coach and every player is being honest and being responsible with this thing? And, you know, you're going to tell a 19-year-old kid that, you know, he's asymptomatic, but he needs to get tested and, if he tests positive and he doesn't feel bad at all, you know, who's to say that that's going to be checked out and done correctly every time. There's just so much shit about this that still worries me. And it just seems like, you know, the broader discussion is that not even really 
hitting on all that. I mean, some places are talking about putting 30, 40, 50,000 people in the stands. That's nuts. It, yeah, and I'll take it one step further. You know, I, I don't think it's uh, absurd at all to think that a, a big name or any name, college football team or pro football team, that, hey, you know, yeah, like you said, you one lineman has it, they all have it because they're all in the same meeting room or your quarterback comes down with it. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me at all if they try to keep that under wraps and try to use the uh, the excuse that, hey, we're all, you know, 20 or 30-year-old guys here who are in great shape. We fit the profile of people who can shake it off. But I'll go one step further. You and I both live right in the middle of – SEC and ACC country about as rabid as it gets in terms of football. Hell, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, the week of a Georgia-Alabama game, if a couple people uh, uh, test positive on the Alabama campus, they might send them on an all-expenses-paid trip to Athens to party for a couple of days. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me I'm wrong. I mean, no, I would be, right there, there have been crazier things. It goes on there. Tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> no, I won't be telling you you're wrong on that one, Mikey Memory. Uh, and now tonight, as we're recording this on June 19th uh, for June 20th, I see, Mike, 28 Clemson players tonight have tested positive for coronavirus. Uh, doesn't that seem rather convenient that they all kind of get tested and uh, diagnosed or with the virus uh, all at the same time, it, it kind of just feels like, okay, let's get all these guys' clocks started yeah, now, 14 days from now, and then we'll be good to go in 14 days. Yeah, you asking me to put my cynical hat on? I'm just saying, like, 28 people test positive, but then over in on Hilton Head, uh, there's 150-something golfers and one test positive, mm-hmm. but 28 at one time in Clemson, South Carolina, in the same state. I mean uh, – I mean, it doesn't make sense. I'm a little bit older than you, and I think it might have been illegal, you know, when you were a baby. But back when I was a little kid, there were there was a thing known as a chicken pox party where you wanted your kids to get chicken pox when they were two, three years old because it was more dangerous the older they got. And that's kind of what it smells like to me is, hey, you know, you got one guy positive. Let's get all of them in a room. We can get through this, and then we can power on and – not have to worry about it. And, you know, I don't know Davo Sweeney personally, but that, you know, judging by some of his comments and philosophies over the last few years, that seems like something that would be right up his alley. Yeah. Yeah. That, like that would make a lot of sense, right? That would be pretty on brand. Um, we're we're going to get over it. We're going to act like big tough men because we all survived it. And now everybody's had it, had it. So I don't want to hear any more questions and let's get on with the season. Well, shit, Michael. I mean, all they're going to have to do is pray about it. Yeah, that would also be on brand. That's right. I mean, you're bulletproof after that. An incredible yeah, defense. If you on your side, what more can you want? Um, you know where Dabo Sweeney? You know where Dabo Sweeney could be used right now? Uh, the Major League Baseball Players Union, because uh, while 28 Clemson players are getting tested and uh, diagnosed with coronavirus. Uh, another hour has gone by and another proposal has been denied uh, by Major League Baseball from this time from the Players Union to baseball. Major League Baseball has said it won't respond uh, this time, Mike. It won't counteroffer. Now it seems like we're arguing between 70 and 60 games, uh, which, you know, for this entire debacle, 
uh, under the watchful eye of Bob Manfred, nothing out of baseball would surprise me right now uh, because this is truly a clown show. And, and you know, I, I want to hear, you know, your take on all of this baseball stuff, Mike, but for me, I just keep finding myself. I'm not going to give the players all the, all the credit. You know what I mean? Like everyone, it's popular to say, fuck the owners, fuck the billionaires, you know, take a hit. And I get that. But I feel like I want to put like 60% on the owners blame and 40% on the players. Somebody's got to read the room. I say this every week on this fucking podcast. Baseball's got to read the room and they are just fucking it up every single day. It feels like. Yeah. I'm there, I'm, there I'm done. Uh, yeah, I don't know what the uh, the tilt has been on this podcast before. If you want to go slightly more on the player side, I will be glad to uh, be your foil and play devil's advocate. Not that I'm saying that the owners are without fault, but I, I really think that uh, even though the headlines are like, hey, everybody's supporting the players for the first time, I really think the players are screwing this up too. Yeah, and I think that my, my, that's something else too. Like everything you see and hear, it's like, Oh, uh, uh, the general public and the fan, uh, they're smarter now and, and they realize that, you know, that it's, this is on the owners. But I, I don't think that's true. I think that the fans are so smart now that they're able to see that it's both of these sides that are just, you know, botching this entire thing. Nobody in this scenario, for me, Mike, is without blame. And like, I mean that literally nobody. Yeah. In this scenario is without blame. I think they're screwing it up from two different standpoints. Uh, the owners are doing it from a PR standpoint, mostly because of Bob Manford. I think the players are doing it from an economical standpoint. And I'll start with the players. You know, I, I get that all of them are saying, hey, we need our prorated salaries because that's what we agreed to, you know, what? two weeks after spring training got called off. But I honestly don't know how many of them read the actual agreement that their uh, union signed on to. It did not say when we play, it will be prorated salaries. It said it will be prorated provided that there are fans in the stands, which it seems pretty evident that there won't be no matter what. So they seem to be just digging themselves, uh, uh, you know, ready to die on a hill for a premise that just isn't valid. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, okay, so ask, uh, or I'll ask you this, Mike. Can you sum up what the player's gripe is in one sentence or less? I mean, doesn't it take you like 25 sentences to figure out what they actually want? I mean, they're not asking for like, you know, one thing and not budging on it. Like, the players, it feels to me like are budging on very little at this point, and it's because of that lingering collective bargaining agreement that they're going to have to deal with in two years for their sake. I hope Tony Clark is not leading the players union at that point, because I cannot deal with anything. Yeah. To go in one sentence, they all think that they were guaranteed a pro rata salaries. I mean, they actually think that. That's not what the deal was. And that's, I mean, that's kind of like the Trevor. How do you feel about Trevor Bauer? Uh, he's a loud mouth. I mean, I don't like Trevor Bauer. I find myself agreeing with a lot of the shit he says, but it's like, I, dude, when did, when did you become the white knight? He has like a four and a half ERA. I, I do like, think his ability to put one over the center field ball from the pitcher's mouth. 
<laughs> I, yeah, I will never forget that. Just chunking it out when Tito comes out to yank him. That's awesome. But yeah, uh, you know, I think the uh, the players just I really just don't think that they read that agreement that they signed on to. Like they just let the union do some stuff for them and they didn't read the fine print. And now agents who have to be paid based on what uh, their clients make, you know, they're pushing for more team, more games, more uh, salary paid per game. So of course they're going to echo what their agents are telling them because they think they're doing it in their best interest. But you know, that's, that's how things go. Like the owners, of course, they're billionaires, and that's what they want to hammer them on is these guys are billionaires, and they're just being picky about it. Yeah, they're billionaires. They might be worth a billion on paper, but think about you or me and what we make in a year and what we own in a house and what we own in land and what's in our 401K. Whatever we're worth, that doesn't mean that we can just shell out a check for it tomorrow. These owners don't have $180 million cash to just pay out player salaries when they don't have the cash flow. Most of the, uh, the player salaries come through payment uh, through cash flow, which is ticket sales, it's parking, it's concessions, none of which any of those owners will be getting any of if they hold games with uh, no, no fans in attendance. So I don't know where these players think the money's coming from. Yeah, and uh, for their part, the players' union, and again, this is something I've said on this podcast many times, the players' union has done a terrible job also of getting their message to the public. Unless you really deep dive into this and you really want to start reading into some of this language that's pretty boring at some parts, uh, like you said, a lot of the players probably skimmed over it. Uh, Unless you do that, you really don't know from one moment to the next what the player's message is supposed to be. And that is inexcusable to me. Uh, Mike, I'll, I'll ask you one more thing about baseball. I guess, you know, we'll, we can move on from this before I get too pissed about <laughs> everything that's going on with it. Uh, is, is the worst case scenario for baseball that they don't have a season this year, or is there somehow something worse than that? Is I imagine them starting Mike and then stopping like almost immediately after for Corona, I mean, wouldn't that be like the absolute worst case scenario? Oh, I agree. That would be the worst case scenario. And um, to your first point, I don't think there's going to be a scenario where there's no season because the owners can force it, you know, uh, right. Right. Just uh, the contract agreements, the CBA, it would be an illegal strike. If the players tried to do it, it would be a whole mess, but there is going to be baseball because baseball has an agreement for the postseason that, is going to get them them paid whether or not the players get paid. So that's going to happen. So I wouldn't worry if you just want to see baseball about there not being baseball. But, no, I would agree with you that the worst-case scenario would be this lingers on for another month, month and a half. They try to do a really short season that everyone's pissed about in the first place. And then two, three weeks in, so many people are sick, they have to shut it down. That would be the nightmare. Yeah. One silver lining to all this, Mike, universal DH for the next two seasons. It looks like every proposal includes that. And I have Not been silver lining, Travis. Listen, I've been screaming. Let's talk about it, Mike. No other sport in the world do they play by two different sets of rules. What what sense does it make to have a position in one league that you don't have in the other? That doesn't make any sense. 
I, I agree that that's why we should play by baseball rules and just have, you know, everybody who's in the field also bat and not have okay. a guy just sit in the air condition for an hour and, you know, once every hour go swing and miss a couple times. Okay, but you you know as well as I do that that's never happening, right? They're never going to get rid of the guys in the AL. So would you prefer I to do that as That's one that I will. <laughs> that's fair enough. Uh, any projections for your Phillies? Um, I can only say that a, a, a very truncated uh, season probably bodes well for my Phillies because they started out like – barnstormers each of the last two seasons if you're gonna go on like a 50 or 60 game season they'd have been not only in the playoffs they'd have been one of the top seeds each of the last two years so I guess if they were just gonna break my heart and fall apart in August and September again this season you know maybe we can uh, catch them before that and uh, they'll be a top seed and be able to get through the playoffs this time around well, listen, if they if the Phillies have any luck at all they'll match up with the Braves in the playoffs in the first round and you know, since it's the Braves in the playoffs, that'll be a cakewalk for the Phillies. So, yep. you know, uh, you know, as every other team in baseball is looking forward to playing the Braves. Still warming up in that bullpen back in what 2014. Yeah, Freddie Gonzalez is a good baseball man, though. Good clubhouse guy. Yeah. Well. Uh, Mike, I guess we'll, we'll wrap it up here. I, I wanted to let you kind of, uh, you know, all these college football magazines are coming out. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Georgia Southern, like the back of your hand. Uh, what what should people uh, in Statesboro, assuming the season goes normal, does it look uh, as promising for Georgia Southern as it seems to look on paper? Uh, obviously, the schedule is difficult, but it seems like, you know, for them, if they don't win the East or at least have a legit shot to win the East late, that it would be a letdown, right? I mean, this is kind of the season you've been pointing to for the last two years, right? Yeah, well, first things first, I can confirm with uh, everybody coming back down to Statesboro, uh, they metered it out to have everybody arrive in shifts to be able to comply with the coronavirus stuff. I can confirm that Shy Words has made it from South Carolina to Statesboro without incident. Uh, he is he is just fine. No bird incidents this time around. So Much to the, the chagrin of South Carolina law enforcement. Yeah. So that was the first hurdle. Got by that. Um, haven't heard anything um, about possible positive tests. Seems like most people are in the clear so far. They're going to start working out. But, yeah, as to the long term, how the season's shaping out, it is a tough schedule. But I think that uh, with – the Eagles returning basically 99% of all their offensive output. They should be in great shape in terms of not only skill position players, but everybody being on the same page in what can be a very complicated triple option system. I think the real wild card is the offensive line, which, you know, they get a, a few of those guys back, but they weren't especially great last year, nor were they each of the last two years. So that's really what I point to is uh, can those guys grow? If they take a big step forward, I really think that uh, teams are going to – or people are going to see Georgia Southern uh, showcase those skill guys on offense. They're going to have big roles to run through. They've got all the athleticism in the world. So if the offensive line comes through, I think it's going to be a big offensive year for Georgia Southern. And then on the defensive side, 
they lose a lot in the secondary, but they've got such a stout uh, front seven that I think that they'll be able to hold their own no matter what. So, yeah, I, I think it all hinges on the offensive line. If they start playing better, this team's going to put up some points and going to make it really tough for anyone to keep up with them. Mike, let me ask you one more follow-up on Georgia Southern quickly. Sure. Uh, on Shy Worth specifically, I've always been fascinated by kind of, you know, where he'll eventually slot in in terms of Georgia Southern quarterback lore. Uh, am I wrong for thinking that no one uh, on this – and not that this matters, Mike, but for people like me who think about this kind of thing uh, – can Shy Wirtz, you know, move up or down in terms of all-time Georgia Southern quarterbacks uh, a lot either way this year? I mean, does, doesn't a lot of his legacy kind of depend on how uh, he finishes up this year at, at Georgia Southern? I, like, obviously, I'm not going to – like, he's not Tracy Ham, you know. But then you start – like, you can move him up and down that list, you know, at will, depending on what stat you want to use. Like, is he the, you know, or let me ask you this, Mike. Have you placed Shy Wirtz yet in Georgia Southern quarterback lore? No, I don't think it's fair to place anybody until their time is done, which plays right into what you said, how much this last year means uh, for where he will be remembered. And he's definitely going to have one of the more unique timelines. And he oh, got my God. He got, he got thrown right into the deep end as a freshman starting quarterback on the worst Georgia Southern team there's ever been. I don't know how much of that is attributable to him. I would argue very little. And then you kind of saw him start to take a leadership role. And you, know, you could argue that from his sophomore season, he's been the leader of this offense. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to hedge a lot on what he can do as the senior quarterback, the unquestioned leader of this team, they're supposed to be better. They've got everybody back. So, yeah, what can he do this year? That, that'll weigh a lot about uh, – or uh, weigh a lot on where people rank him when it's all said and done against all the other quarterbacks. I, I think he gets some credit. Um, I can only think of maybe one other guy in Kevin Ellison who's been the quarterback or a quarterback for him since day one. You know, you've had some other guys. Tracy Ham didn't start four years. Jason Foster was great, but he wasn't a quarterback for four years. He kind of bounced back and forth. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. So there's something to be said for being the guy for four years. Now, there's also something to be said for him not accomplishing as much as some of those other guys did. So, yeah, I think it really does come down to this year. But I also think that uh, he knows enough to know that he's just trying to get the most out of this year. And he knows that if it's a great year, then, yeah, he's going to take up a spot or two and maybe crack that top five on all-time quarterbacks. But I, I don't think that's what he's in it for. He seems to have a level head on his shoulders. He's been through a lot, as we kind of alluded to from last year. Um, but he's been through injury. He's been through some tough personal stuff. And uh, he's just looking to have a good senior year. And I think he's got all the weapons around him. So, yeah, I think that, uh, if anything, you could just look at this season as a microcosm. This is the one year where he is the leader of the team, the veteran guy, and has all the weapons around him. So if you were ever going to expect most out of shy words, this would be the year. So I guess, yeah, he does have to live up to that this year. Boom, racket. He is Mike Anthony, the sports editor at the Statesboro Herald. 
thank you guys for listening to the Hot Grits Podcast, episode 18. Mike, thank you for filling in for Penny Maddox. Uh, you want to plug anything or uh, maybe even uh, let the folks know where you're playing golf on Sunday so you can uh, maybe have a little cheering section? Yeah, I mean, extremely heckle me whenever I thrive on adversity. I will be playing in the uh, Father's Day Shamble at uh, uh, Savannah Harbor on Sunday. So, um, you know, buy me a beer. It'll be fine. We'll high five or, or virtual high five, whichever makes everyone feel comfortable. But other than that, if you want my sports opinions, you can read me in the Statesboro Herald or online at statesboroherald.com. There he is. All right. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks, man.